Oh, baby. How are we, everybody? That's a hefty table right there, man. That's cool. Hey, I don't know about you guys, but man, I could listen to that dude talk for a long time. Anybody else? All right, cool. I'm glad I'm not the only one. I'm sitting there ba backstage watching him on like a tiny little screen like this, and I'm like, man, I'm just going to sit here like this. I don't even need to get on the stage. You might have to do the sermon. All right, so how many of you guys have ever been confused? You ever been confused? Okay. How many of you guys have ever been to the, confused to the point that you feel like a person who works at Starbucks that's trying to write names on cups? Anybody ever been that confused? I kid you not. I kind of, I have a theory. Sorry, by the way, if anybody works at Starbucks and writes names on cups, all right? All right. Zach, I love you. You know I do. Hey, uh, but seriously, I have a theory that they do it wrong on purpose. I, I go up there, and by the way, I go to Starbucks like once a year when I have a gift card that my wife hasn't used yet. And I go, hey, I'll get a, a, a grande um, dark roast, all right? Black, no cream, no sugar. You don't need to leave any room in it. What's your name? Kevin. Great. I see him writing it on a cup. It's C-A-7-U. And I'm like, what in the world are they spelling? And then, lo and behold, right, then my order is finally ready. And I'm standing there and I'm waiting for Kevin to be called. And they look at the cup, C-A-7-U, apostrophe, right? And they call out Gavin. And I'm like, where'd you get that from? You not only write the wrong name, but you say the wrong name? It's a mystery to me. I think they train them to do that on purpose. You guys with me on that one? Okay, cool. So, yeah, we can applaud that. We can applaud that. Zach Ashby will testify later to that. All right, so I want to make sure tonight, by the end of our time, that we are not confused. That we are not confused about what Jesus teaches, about what Jesus lives out, about how Jesus takes the perceptions of the world of his time as he walked as in human form and flips them completely upside down. He does so over and over and over again. He does it in teaching and he does it in action. It would have been really simple for me to just go, all right, turn to Matthew and we're going to look at the Beatitudes. Because as you study the Beatitudes, if you never have, I encourage you to, but as you study the Beatitudes, what you see Jesus teach is he takes popular opinion or cultural understanding, and he goes, let me go ahead and take this that you guys know and understand, and let me teach you what truth actually is. In the eyes of the Father, this is how you are to live. This is how you are to glorify him. You think it's this. You have been wrong for a really, really long time. Let me explain to you the heart of the Father. But what we're going to do tonight is we're actually going to look at Jesus explain the misunderstandings of people, the world around him, through action and through story. And as we look at the misunderstanding of, of culture in Jesus' time when he walked on this earth, we don't have to stretch our imaginations very far to examine our own culture that we walk right here and now. 
I'm going to read our key verse, and then I'm going to highlight the portion that we're going to focus on tonight, all right? And by the way, I'm going to go fast tonight. We're going to look at multiple examples. I'm going to be all over the place, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And I hope that we all leave here with a renewed understanding of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished on our behalf. So, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, in light of everything that Paul wrote about in Romans 1 through 11, the reason he can stand boldly and say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Highlight, starting now. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And highlight there. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's enter in. We're going to check out a whole bunch of stories in the gospel. We're going to start in Luke 15. In my Bible, handwritten in my chicken scratch, all capitalization letters, because that's how my brain works, it says one single word above Luke chapter 15. And that word is gospel. If I'm going to pick one chapter in all of the Bible... To sum up the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, in my humble opinion, none does it better than Luke chapter 15. And what you see is Jesus teaching to a group of people three parables. And the one we're going to spend some time on is the parable of the prodigal son. Luke 15, starting in verse 11, it says this, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me, highlight, underline, circle, apostrophes, whatever you need to do, remember those words, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, that, by the way, he got from the father, and set off to a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Here's this young man who says, give me to the Father. Give me what is rightfully yours, but that I desperately want. He wants the Father's possessions more than he wants the Father. And some of us are sitting in this room right now, and we have been living that life. I know that to be true because I lived it myself. We want the good things from the Father, but when it comes down to it, we actually don't want him. We just want his blessings. We just want him to make things okay. We just want him to kiss our boo-boos when we fall on our scooters. We just want that from him, but we don't actually want a relationship because we don't want to have to invest back into it. And what do we do? We wander off into a distant country, a faraway land, and I don't know what it is for you. I know what it was for me. 
For me, it was the acceptance of my peers, for people to look upon me and think that I was this popular and amazing person, even though inside I was so insecure and I was so unconfident in who I was that I had to seek the approval of everybody and I did it through sport and I did it through relationship and it was a constant void that I was trying to fill. That was my distant country and I remember there came a time in my life where I was so desperate for any sort of nourishment in my soul that I would fill it with anything that I thought might satisfy And so maybe that's some of you guys. Maybe you're sitting right now in a distant country, far away from God, and you don't even remember how you got there. And you're wondering, man, what, if anything, is ever going to fill the void that I feel? The next thing I want to look at is John 8, 3 through 5. Jesus is is teaching. He's beginning to teach, and then all of a sudden... It says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? Some of you came up here with heavy hearts and heavy minds and a burden like a backpack filled with 45-pound plates because of what you've made of this life, whether you've been caught or whether you have so far gotten off scot-free, you're sitting there and you're thinking about the things that you've done and the only reason that you haven't confessed to God, confessed to self and confessed to others is because you're afraid of the judgment. You're afraid that someone's going to pick up rocks and chuck it at you because you can't possibly be forgiven for what you have done because the world has treated you and taught you that once you're dirty, you're always dirty. You can't be made clean. Some of you are carrying that burden tonight. Just as this lady carried it in front of the religious leaders of her day and this beautiful rabbi that everyone thought so highly of and these people were threatened by. Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 24. Jesus, at this point, is on his way to heal this little girl. See, he's already on his way to do some other miraculous act. And there's all these people that are surrounding Jesus. It says a large crowd followed and pressed around him. By the way, when the Bible uses words like a large crowd, it's not like a crowded checkout line at Trader Joe's. It's a large crowd. See, Scripture's really clear. They want you to understand that at this point in time, people want a piece of this rabbi of this teacher because they've heard that he teaches with an authority like nobody else has before. And so they just want to be in his presence. They just want to hear a word. They want to bring their sick and ill so that he could touch them and heal them. This large crowd, they pressed in around him, meaning that as he's walking down the street, there's not even enough room for the people that are following him. And they're starting to press in on him because of the sheer mass. And as he walks, it says, a woman was there 
who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I could just touch his cloak, I'll be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she had been freed from her suffering. Some of you guys are sitting out there and you're thinking, I have tried everything in this world to, to feel a sense of belonging, to feel a sense of identity. I've changed my hair. I've changed my clothes. I've changed my friendship group. I've changed my taste in music. I just want to belong, and I feel like I don't. This woman is a social outcast, and it says that she spent all that she's ever had to try and cure herself of this disease, and it's only gotten worse. And she sees this Jesus guy walk by with this crowd of people, and notice how she approaches him. She doesn't walk to him and go, Jesus, would you please heal me? She sneaks up from behind him because she's embarrassed about her condition, because she's so unsure of who she is and the state that she's found in and that she knows she can't touch this rabbi because rabbis are supposed to be clean and she's not and so she comes at him from a, a position of just embarrassment but she knows that if she could touch his cloak then maybe she will be healed and made well Luke chapter 10 38 through 40 it says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and asked the Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all this work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha is so caught up because now this rabbi, this teacher, and his buddies are in her house. And society says, look, when you have a visitor, especially one of his prestige and accolade and authority, you need to, to, to clean up and present things in such a way. You need to clean up your act and, and hide all your dirty laundry in a closet. And you need to make sure there's a meal. And so, so Mary's just sitting there and Martha's running around making sure the dishes are clean and making sure that there's bread that's baking and making sure that she's got cherry Pop-Tarts and cinnamon pop Pop-Tarts and strawberry Pop-Tarts and blueberry Pop-Tarts. And then she checks the cupboards and they don't have blueberry Pop-Tarts. So now she's spinning out and she's running over here. And she's like, Jesus, don't you even care that she's not helping me? This is embarrassing. How many of us are sitting in this room and we're so fixated on maintaining a persona, maintaining a certain level of I've done this amount of good works in my portfolio so that I'm accepted? So that I can appear to be this pious statue of Big Valley Christian High School. How many of us are so consumed with good works that we've totally forgotten why we're called to be about good works or who we ultimately do them for? How many of us are in that position? See, Scripture says that our best works are but filthy rags compared to His in the eyes of Jesus, apart from Jesus. And some of us are sitting out there going, I've never experienced a filthy rag before. My wife, I love her. 
she came here and she didn't get to be a program person. <laughs> she started out out there in support services. And you know what? She washed day in and day out for eight hours a day. Dirty rags. She got them from the kitchen. She got them from the snack shop. She got them from, from human beings. And they came in in bundles and bundles and bundles. And she threw them in the washing machine. And then when they were done in the washing machine, she threw them in the dryer my girl knows dirty rags. But to paint an illustration of what our best work, apart from understanding who we're doing those works for because of what he's done for us, dirty rags don't paint a great picture because a lot of us don't understand what that means. One day my wife was working in support services and there was a clog in a toilet and it happened to be a girl's toilet. And so one of the support service dudes that happened to be a guy goes, hey, I need a girl to go with me on a job. And my wife's like, well, it gets me out of the laundry room. So she raises her hand. She's probably wishing in about a half hour that she would have kept her hand down. But she raises her hand. And so they get in a truck. And this guy goes, all right, so I'm going to need you to hold this. First, go in there, make sure there's no ladies. And then uh, I'm going to take this tool. And I'm going to go in there. And we're going to get the clog out. And when I holler, you just start pulling. And my wife is sitting there, and she's like, all right, cool, I can follow instructions. And she's got her brand new pair of white high-top Converse on. You know where this is going. By the way, when you work at Hume Lake Christian Camps, even when you go to Hume Lake Christian Camps, you don't wear white shoes, all right? They just don't last very long. But she's got her white high-top Converse on, and he goes, go ahead and pull. And so she starts pulling, and she's pulling this big metal tube thing. And she has no idea what's about to happen. And she's just pulling. And she's just pulling. And then all of a sudden, the metal tube thing is brown. And she's just pulling. And she's looking at her white converse. And they're now speckled. They look like Dalmatian converse, right? They're speckled with all sorts of this brown substance. And it just keeps on going and keeps on going and keeps on going and keeps on going. And she looks down at what was once a shiny white shoe is not shiny anymore. So if filthy rags doesn't paint a visual for you, how about Hume Lake Pooh shoes? All right? Your best work, apart from understanding who you're working for in light of what he's done for you, is like Hume Lake Poop, poop shoes. That's hard to say fast. Five times fast. Go for it. Back in your cabins. All right? This lady was so consumed with her good works that she missed out on the opportunity to just sit and be with Jesus. John 18, there's a guy who walked with Jesus hand in hand, and Jesus actually himself said, hey, by this time on this day, you're actually going to deny me three times. And Peter says, oh, there is no way. Even if it costs me my own life, there is no way, Jesus, that I will deny you. And Jesus, in his moment of need, as he's approaching a time where he's going to be brutally beaten and hung on a cross, Peter's watching from a distance. He's keeping a low profile. He's standing around a fire, and a little girl goes, hey, aren't you one of the disciples? And Peter, this, this, this guy who walked hand in hand with Jesus, cusses out this little girl, and be certain he knew how to cuss because he was a sailor before he was a disciple, right? He says, no, I do not know him three times. Rooster crows. Peter walks away defeated. He did the very thing he said he would never do. And some of us are sitting in this room right now 
and we're thinking about our lives. And there's been moments where we've done things that we said to ourselves late at night we would never do. I've been in those moments. Where do you go from there? You said you'd never do it, and now it's your reality. How do you bounce back? The world says you don't. The world says you just mask it with something else. You forget about it so that you don't have to deal. You just suppress it down long enough, and if you are able to do so, it'll just go away. I want to read this passage of Scripture from Isaiah 43. I love this passage. Track with me as I read it, but I encourage you guys to go back later and maybe highlight it for yourselves. If you highlight it in your Bible, if you don't, just commit it to memory. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19 says, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. There's an exclamation point there. If you've been around me long enough, you know I love exclamation points in the Bible. That means there's an excitement around it. As the prophet Isaiah is prophesying to the people on behalf of God himself, there's an enthusiasm in his voice because of the new thing that God is doing. He says, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Guys, I want you guys to operate in this world with eyes wide open, not about the condition of the world, but of what God is doing in spite of that condition. He's doing a new thing. Some of us came up here to Hume Lake thinking, what in the world? Where is God? He's there. But sometimes we get so caught off guard and so consumed with other things that have nothing to do with God that we lose sight of him in the midst of it all. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The God of universe is a God of grace and truth. Let's go back to our stories. I'm going to jump us back to John 8 where we left our woman caught in adultery. She's fearful of her life. She's looking at a whole bunch of guys, a whole bunch of religious leaders of Pharisees that are ready to pick up some stones and chuck them in her direction. And she's shaken. And Jesus, as they're asking for an answer, what do you say that we do? Mosaic law says this. What do you say, teacher? Jesus has a weird response. I love Jesus. In these moments where these guys try and trap him, he escapes well. He bends down and he starts to doodle in the sand. And man, I really want to know what he writes. But he's just sitting there doodling. And he looks up at these guys. And he said, hey, you without sin cast the first stone. And then he drops back down. And he starts doodling some more. And it says, one by one starting with the oldest. They were the most self-aware of their own sinfulness. 
they start to walk away until it's just Jesus and the woman. And she's no longer shaking and she's no longer fearful. And in verse 10, it says, Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She says, no one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and sin no more. I love that. Notice what takes place. Jesus looks at her and he extends grace. Your sins are forgiven. Neither do I condemn you. But then he also extends truth. Go and sin no more. He meets her where she's at. He accepts her where she's at. And he challenges her to live a life of a renewed mind, of an understanding of her value, of an understanding that she can be loved, and an understanding that she can be healed, and to live a life different than the one that she currently lives. May we all understand that Jesus is willing to meet us right where we are at, but he doesn't desire for us to stay there. His grace will abound. It will cover our shortcomings. But he desires for us to say yes and to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that our lives can be renewed, so that our minds can be renewed, so that our hearts can be retooled in a way that we can look at a world that's hurting and broken and extend hope and extend forgiveness and extend grace. Why? Because we received it first. You cannot lead people where you haven't gone yourself. And Jesus needs a whole bunch of people to recognize what they've received from him and extend it out. Mark 5, we're going to revisit that one. It says, at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. Remember, this is the lady that touches the cloak. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet, you can ask, who touched me? The disciples are like, Jesus, probably about 100 people touched you in the last 10 seconds. Jesus was aware that there was a need that was met. And he's just wondering who it was. I felt the power leave. Where, where did it go? His disciples are like, dude, you're in a crowd. People are pressing up. If you could just back everybody up and you know, do one of those miracles where you calm the storm, but instead in people version, that would be great. Jesus is like, no, 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 this is different. Who touched me? Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, she came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear. Look at how she approached. Trembling with fear. Why? Because the world had taught her that she had no right to touch this rabbi, to touch this teacher, to be in a public forum, to be noticed, to be identified. She didn't deserve any of that, so she approaches him with fear and trembling because she expects some sort of backlash told him the whole truth and he said to her daughter your faith has healed you go in peace and be freed from your suffering I look at that and 
that last line, be freed from your suffering. Jesus knows that there's more going on in this woman than bleeding. He knows that there's a whole bunch of tumultuous feeling and rejection that exists in this soul. He already freed her from her physical suffering. What he's challenging her now is to be freed from your emotional suffering. All those struggles with your identity and and, and being cast aside as if you were worthless. You are worth something to me. Look at the word that he called her. He didn't say, hey, lady, I see you. Hey, sister, no. He said, daughter, it's the only place in the entire New Testament where Jesus looked upon a human being and called them daughter. The only place in the whole book. And it was to a lady who had very little self-worth and crawled up through a crowd and touched a cloak. And Jesus says, I see you. Right where you're at, no matter what kind of insecurities or lack of identity or lack of importance that you may be carrying around, I see you and I love you and I'm going to show you right now. Luke 10, 41, 42, you got Martha running around worried about Pop-Tarts. She goes, Jesus, tell my lazy sister to get up. I got work to do. Jesus' response, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. Martha was a bit high strung. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it it will not be taken away from her. Jesus looks at Martha square in the face, and he said, your sister who's sitting right here got it right. You're running around. You're trying to make this house presentable. You're trying to greet me in a way that the society says you're meant to greet me. Or you're trying to approach me or create some sort of environment to welcome me in. You're trying to clean yourself up enough to be ushered into my presence. And Mary got it right. She fell at my feet, no matter what condition she was in, to hear my voice and to listen to my words and grow in the process. Martha... Knock it off. I don't care if you have blueberry Pop-Tarts or not. Sit and hear how you are loved. John chapter 21. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. The disciples, they're, they're now fishing again because they really don't know what to do. And then all of a sudden they see this figure off in the distance and Peter You know, because he likes to jump into action. He leaps from the boat. He swims. And all of his buddies are like, dude, a little help would have been nice. And he gets to the shore first. And Jesus is there on the shore. They break bread. They share a meal together. And then Jesus looks at Peter square in the eye. The guy who just a few moments ago denied him three times. Said he'd never do it. That's not something I'm going to be about, Jesus. And then, boom, he did it. And now he's looking at him square in the face. The man who just defeated death. Who rose again as he said he would. He looks at him and and Jesus asks him three times. Do you love me? Do, Do you love me? 
One more. Do you love me? And he says that statement three times to, yes, reinstate Peter, to negate the rejection. But he wants to hear it. He wants to hear it from Peter. And notice he didn't ask him the question, hey, Peter, do you want to start a religion in my name? Hey, Peter, you want to do enough good works to erase the denial? Hey, Peter, do you think I'm a nice guy and a good teacher? No, no, no. Jesus doesn't care about that. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And after Peter answers him, yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus once again looks at him in the face on the shore after he just got done fishing and said, well, then follow me. He reinstates his friend. Some of you guys are sitting out there going, "Ah, I've done so much wrong in this world. I don't know that there's enough grace upon grace upon grace to take away the things that I've done. Do you love him? Do you love him? See, the thing I I love about the grace of God is that he doesn't need a blown open set of double doors to enter into your life. All he needs is a crack. All he needs you to take the knob and just open that thing up a little bit to the goodness of God and allow him to flow in. He doesn't need you to know every single thing when you say yes to Jesus. He doesn't need you to have it all figured out to say yes to Jesus. He doesn't need you to have all the Sunday school answers to, have, to say yes to Jesus. He doesn't need you to be well-groomed, well-showered. He doesn't need you to do all those things. He needs you to understand His grace and love for you enough to take all the callousness of your heart and crack it open just enough for His grace to flow in and repair it. That's the gift that he gives us. It's grace upon grace. I'm going to teach you guys a lesson in shepherding. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, that's the field I wanted to go into after high school. I highly doubt that's true. How many of you guys have ever been around sheep? Okay. What would you say? Sheep, smart animals or dumb animals? They're dumb animals, yeah. They're cute and things, but they are not bright. There is not many light bulbs on in the brain. I remember my first summer working here at Hume Lake Christian Camps, 2005. The Ponderosa theme was We Like Sheep. And there was a song, and everybody was wearing these sheep outfits. And the, the song was We Like Sheep because sheep is what we are. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. It took me a while to get with what the theme was talking about. Look, we here in America, we see these sheep and we go, I know that's a dumb animal. I know we like their wool for things. But we don't actually understand what it is to be a shepherd. Because what we have here in the United States is we've got these dogs. Anybody ever seen a sheep dog? They're all fluffy and scraggly. right? They're really good at commands. But they do two things exceptionally well. 
they heard animals in two methods. One, biting the back of their ankles. Anybody ever been around a Queensland healer or an Australian shepherd? And they like to follow you around and nip at your ankles as you walk. And you're like, dude, what the heck? You're like ants in Arizona, right? The other thing that they do really well is they bark. When they need the sheep to move in any sort of direction, they will bark and they will nip at the ankles of the sheep and they will move them where they need to go. In Jesus' time, that was not shepherding. They didn't have sheep dogs. In fact, shepherds, as lambs were born and they're moving with the herd. Notice I said with the herd. They would take the lamb and they would throw the lamb on their shoulders like this. And they would carry the lamb and they would talk to the rest of the sheep. Shepherds were lonely. They didn't have a lot of friends. They would talk to the sheep. They would sit there and they would walk in the wilderness, in the desert, in the valley, and they would have this newborn lamb on their shoulders, and they would talk to the sheep, and they would sing songs. All the while, the sheep is learning the sound of the shepherd's voice. They would then take the lamb, and they would put it off of their shoulders, and they give it back to its mama. But what has happened is this lamb now understands the shepherd, knows his voice. Because back then, in Jesus' time, shepherds moved with the herd. The herd followed them because they knew the sound of the shepherd's voice. They wanted to be with the shepherd. As the shepherd moved and called to the sheep, they came because there was a relationship Luke 15, 17 through 24. We're going to revisit the story of the prodigal son. We're going to get a depiction of the good shepherd. John 10, 14 says, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Do we know his voice? Do we follow after him in a world that is upside down and uncertain at all times and around every turn? Do we follow his voice because we know him, because we know his power, we know his love for us? We know how to discern what is of the world and what is of him. Luke 15, 17 through 24. He's looking at the pig pods, remember? He's going, man, those look kind of tasty. I need something to fill that void. Some of us right now might have a void in our life and we're need something to fill it. I've tried. When he came to his senses, I love that sentence. Oh, it's so good. Anybody who hasn't experienced a moment like that with Jesus where you look at the condition that you've made of your life and all of a sudden, boop, light bulb comes on about this almighty God who paid a price for you that you couldn't pay for yourself and extends you grace through the goodness of his son because he loves you and you don't have to do anything to earn it. You just got to crack your little calloused heart open just enough for him to flow in and repair it. When you come to your senses, it's amazing. 
this son, he came to his senses and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death. Look at the immediate motivation. The motivation isn't because he loves dad. The motivation is because he's starving. Some of us are sitting out there and we're starving. We don't even know how to love dad back, but that didn't stop the kid. Watch, he gets up. Check it out. He set out to go back to his father, and he's going to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up, and he went to his father. Look at this kid. He goes, man, I have messed up, and my dad is going to be so mad at me, and i got to come up with some well-rehearsed speech just so he will potentially accept me back, not as kid, but as hired servant. And I know some of you guys are thinking, oh, I don't know how to put words into an order, into an arrangement that God is going to receive them and have mercy upon me. Check out what happens. It says, but while he was still a long way off. By the way, that indicates to us that the father is watching for him. He wakes up every morning, he makes his Keurig cup of coffee, and then he starts examining the hillsides because he misses his boy. While he's still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed his neck. By the way, his kid's probably really dirty, so woo, that is not COVID-friendly. 21. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. See, here's the speech. I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22. But the father said to his servant, notice, he didn't even allow him to finish. He's like, look, you rehearsed that on the way home. I ain't going to have any of it. He says to his servant, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf. Kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Notice the dad. He doesn't need the speech. He just has his boy back and he's excited. He runs to him with compassion and love, and he doesn't reinstatement or reinstate him as some hired hand or servant. He brings out a robe. He puts a ring on his finger. He puts sandals on his feet, and he said, you will always be a son in my house. Not because of anything you've done. You certainly didn't earn it, but because I love you, and I want you to be that with me. Do you know his voice? Do you understand his character? Do you trust his heart for you? Jesus did not come to start a religion. He came to build a relationship. I want to end with this, guys. John 3.16. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, oh my goodness. Kevin, John 3.16, really? Yes. John 3.16. It is the most famous verse in all the Bible. People who have never read the Bible know John 3.16 because Tim Tebow put it on his eye black. I'm proud of you guys for knowing who Tim Tebow is. Y'all are good. Hey, he's a Jacksonville Jaguar for at least another two weeks. All right, here we go. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I read that, not because you needed to be reminded. Maybe some of you, that's the first time hearing it. 
welcome. That's what God did for you. What's the subject matter? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Is it eternal life? Is that the subject matter? No. That is not the subject matter. That is the product of what this verse is all about. Maybe you're thinking, God's love, duh, Kevin. That's the subject matter. No, that is what is motivating God to step in and deliver eternal life, the product. That's the motivation, the subject matter. The subject matter is that God gave His one and only Son. The subject is that God gave His one and only Son. See, the subject is not Kevin earned God's one and only Son. No, that's stupid. That's foolish. God gave His one and only Son. That's what it's all about. It's not rules. It's a relationship that God gave you the opportunity to have through His Son, Jesus Christ. And by the way, from one dad to you guys, I would never do that for you. I'm sorry. I love some of you, but I'm not giving either one of my boys for you. If it's you or my boy, sorry, you're out of luck. But God gave his son while you and I were still his enemy so that you could have, through his son, a relationship with him. That's how much he wanted it, even though we didn't deserve it. It's a relationship of trust. Will you listen and follow because of the good news. John 10, 27 through 30. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand and I and the Father are one. He's doing a new thing. Do you perceive it? Do you understand? He makes springs prop up in the desert. And he says, hey, go get yourself a drink. Look, some of us have some work to do with Jesus. Some of us have made our lives about a whole different thing that the world has told us this will bring you satisfaction. This will help you establish an identity. This will allow you to feel true purpose. This will fill that void that you feel deep. This will enable you to gain popularity or prestige or authority or power or influence. The world speaks all that. And God says, I have a gift for you. And that void that you so long to fill will once and forever be filled when you crack open your heart and accept my grace into it. Some of y'all got some work to do. And I want to create a space. We want to create a space. And leaders are going to hang back. And if you got some work to do in your heart and in your life, we want to create that space for you. Some of y'all are sitting out there going, dang, I want that gift. That sounds like a good one that I hope doesn't come with a gift receipt for return. I want it. 
And if you're sitting out there and you're saying, I want that gift, great. Just say yes to Jesus. There's no perfect prayer that's going to allow the callousness of your heart to tear away and his grace to flow in. It's simple. Crack it open. Just enough in trust and hope in the person of Jesus and what he's already accomplished for you and just let his goodness flow in. That's Jesus. He doesn't need your words. All he needs is your yes. Yes, Jesus, I want that gift. If you want that gift, I invite you guys to stay back, have some conversations because look, these leaders, they came up here not because they had to, but because they wanted to. They wanted to be here. They were hoping that some of you guys would have that opportunity to interact with a God that loves you more than you could even comprehend or imagine. And they'd be excited to have that conversation with you. We want this space for you. And in a moment, we're going to dismiss out those back doors right there to our outdoor amphitheater. We're going to do Victory Circle out there. Look, if you're hanging back, and I encourage you to do so, if you've got work to do, you're not going to miss anything. This time's for you. Make sure you use it. Make sure you take advantage of it. Because all I know is tomorrow you guys are going to go down the hill and your life's going to get busy again. And you might be thinking, well, I'll just say yes to Jesus tomorrow. Don't do that. This is a great opportunity to do some work. And I encourage you to take advantage of it. If you guys are sitting there thinking, mm, I don't know about this Jesus thing. That might not be for me. That's okay. He's going to keep working on your heart. He's going to keep putting people in your life that are going to explain the love of Jesus to you over and over and over again. And they're going to be praying for you that someday the callousness of your heart would tear away and that you'd crack that door open just enough for his grace to flow in. If you're thinking, hey, it's not for me, you guys can go ahead and head on up to Victory Circle in a second. I'll dismiss you in a bit. If some of you are thinking, I'm good. Me and Jesus, we got a good thing going on. That's great. Happy for you. Happy for you. Be praying. Thanking Jesus. Man, thank you that we have that great relationship. Love you, God. Thank you for your gift. That's awesome. No matter what condition you're leaving in, I would ask that you'd leave in a, in, in, in a discipline of silence in respect of those that are going to hang back. And we'll be up there real quick with you guys up, up there in Victory Circle. We'll cap this night off together. Cool? Let me pray, and when I'm done praying, we'll dismiss you. But I'd encourage you, if you've got work to do with Jesus, hang on back and meet with your leaders. Lord God, man, you are so good. Whew. Thank you for the way that you work. For your word. That we can look into your word and we can hear you teach. We can, we can see your love for us lived out in the person of Jesus, Lord. As we share of your good news, Lord, I pray that we would accept it and that we would trust it. That we would trust you above all things, Lord. Do a work in our hearts. Do a work in our lives, Lord. Let us feel the renewed purpose, a renewed hope as we understand your grace and as we operate within the confines of your love for us. Thank you for an identity that's in you, that when you look upon us, you say, that's my son and that's my daughter. And there is no higher name for us to be called. Thank you, Lord, for that truth. May we live in it each day. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.